This morning we will be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. I'll bring the text up on the screen. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. There were some present at that very time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Were those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it rise up? Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also. Until I dig around it and put on manure, uh, then if it should bear fruit next year, well, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. So 20 years ago, uh, a missionary pastor was uh, preaching in the States at a large youth event in Montgomery, Alabama. And after praying and and reading from Matthew 7, he shared about how after years of preaching in South America and Africa and Eastern Europe, that he had come to the realization that much of American Christianity was based more upon a godless culture than on the Word of God. And he went on to say that there were many uh, people in the church that had been deceived uh, to believe that they were Christians simply because they were comparing their, themselves to everything around them except the Word of God itself. He went on to say, quote, What you need to know is that salvation is by faith, and faith alone in Jesus Christ. And faith alone in Jesus Christ is preceded and followed by repentance, a turning away from sin, a hatred for the things that God hates, and a love for the things that God loves, a growing in holiness, and a desire not to be like the world, not to be like the great majority of American Christians, but a desire to be like Jesus Christ. And at this point, the audience of young people, of nearly 5,000 of them, break into applause and cheers, and, and, and the pastor responded, I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. I didn't come here to get amens. I didn't come here to get applauded. I'm talking about you. That was his introduction. He preached for an hour. I thought of that sermon when I read Jesus' words here. (laughs) Unless you repent, you will also, all, likewise, perish. But the question is not necessarily, why is Jesus so harsh? But the question is, why is repentance so hard? Why is true, deep-seated repentance so difficult and rare? Well, an aspect of being a part of fallen humanity is that we are, because of sin, because of our fallen natures, naturally resistant to repentance. Even as believers, 
who have repented, who have turned and trusted in Jesus Christ, we struggle with repentance in our daily lives. And what's interesting is we were just talking about this in the, in the youth Sunday school, is that every false gospel will seek to change either the sinfulness of sin or the abundance and power of God's grace. It's always going to make a change to one of those two things, which always has an effect on the other thing. Whatever they change. If you change the nature of God's grace, then you're going to change how, view is underst- how the view of sin is understood. If you change how we view sin, then... Because then, if you know, sin means... You know, if our doctrine of sin is, well, we're not really that bad, and the world's not really that fallen, then we don't really need grace. We just need a little help. We just need a little assistance. All right? I don't need Jesus to die for me. I just need him to give, give me some good advice. All right? Uh, but if we're irredeemable... If, we're, if there are certain sins that we can commit that make us irredeemable, that God's grace cannot touch, well then, what's the purpose of, of, of the cross? What is the power of God's redemption? So you just kind of, you could go through it in a, in a variety of different ways. When it comes to repentance, we have this thing where we can take repentance and we can make it into a system of works by which we merit God's favor by how sincere we are in repentance, how thorough we are in our repentance. Or we can flat out deny that we need to repent. Well, you say, well, I, well, I just, I don't think I've ever done, really done anything that needs repenting of. Yet both of these positions that we make repentance a system of works or we deny that we need it actually have the same common root. They have the same common problem is that they separate repentance from grace. Well, Jesus has some difficult words for his audience, even for us today, about repentance. And we need to hear them. And this morning, we need to consider two things about repentance. First, the absolute necessity of repentance. And then secondly, the diminishing opportunity for repentance. So first, let's consider in verses 1 through 5, the absolute necessity of repentance. Jesus is approached by some people who give him a bit of disturbing news. We're not, told if, no, we're not told if it's old news or recent news, but about some Galilean Jews who had been murdered by the Romans and had their blood mingled with their sacrifices. And this is an incredible, uh, not just the awful taking of human life, but it would be incredibly offensive to a Jewish person to hear this. Um, but Jesus takes this moment that was seemed to be designed to get him really angry at the Romans. You know, because, you know, to, for Jesus to hear that, it's kind of like, it's kind of still this, aren't the Romans the worst kind of, kind of response from Jesus. Uh, and, and, and he says, I'm going to take this moment and impress upon the, the need for repentance from us, from his people. And so he's very clear about who needs to repent. And the short answer that Jesus uh, gives is, who needs to repent? Well, you need to repent. Alright? And so if you fall into the category of you, and I do as well, then we all need to repent as part of sinful humanity. He asks if the Galileans were more sinful than other Galileans that this calamity had befallen them. Then he reminds them about a tower in kind of the southeastern portion of Jerusalem that had recently fallen and killed some Jews in Jerusalem. Now, in the background is this, is this idea that's ingrained, even in our minds today, that really, when you get down to it, bad things happen to bad people. You know, especially, now we tend to go, we tend to think of ourselves as more enlightened, and we don't think that. Oh yeah? You've been on social media? Right? We're very generous towards the people we like, and something bad happens to somebody we like, but we're like, oh, well, that's not their fault. 
But if somebody on the other, other side of the political aisle, something bad happens to them, they're like, oh, they deserved it. Right? They did something bad. I don't know what they did, but this is divine judgment upon them. Right? Remember when Katrina hit? The guy went on TV and said, this is God's wrath against New Orleans for Mardi Gras. Right? That licentious city. It's like, you don't know that, dude. Alright? What city are you from? Now to be clear, Jesus is not saying that the people who died in the tower falling or the Galileans that were slaughtered, He's not saying that they were innocent. He's just saying they weren't worse sinners than others. If we were to put it in terms today, we might say something like this. Do you think that those who died over the last few years from COVID were worse sinners that they died in this way? Do you think that the people who died from the flooding in Kentucky recently were worse sinners than others, than other native Kentuckians that they died in that manner? The family that we learned about, we were traveling through Kentucky, uh, coming back home from, our, our, uh, from Michigan, and we learned about a family who had four children, four small young children, swept away in the floodwaters, lost all their children in a moment. They couldn't hold on to them. Were they worse sinners that they lost their children than someone else? Jesus says no. No. But he tells us, that unless we repent, we will all likewise perish. He's very clear. We all need to repent. He says it twice. There is not one of us in our, and we're talking about fallen humanity state, fallen sinfulness. There is not one in our natural born sinful state who will escape the judgment of God by our own goodness. In his little book on repentance, Thomas Watson, the Puritan, describes six different kinds of people who need to repent. And I'll give you the first five. First, he, he, he talks about great people like kings and presidents who, who need to repent because of the sinfulness of their rule and their governance. He talks about notorious and flagrant sinners. The word he uses is flitigious. And, and who make a public show of their sin. He talks about criminals. Who need to repent, pretty obviously, for their crimes. Okay. Then he talks about all those civil, really moral, nice people who need to repent. The people who aren't believers. The moral atheists that we know. But they're so good, as he says, they're so good, they scorn a psalm of mercy. You know, they're very good. They're good neighbors to keep their lawn nice and they'll loan you a tool as long as you return it. You know, like they're good people. Right? But if you try to talk to them about grace, that's when the, the teeth get bared. That's when the anger comes out. They're so good, they scorn a psalm of mercy. Don't talk to me about that stuff. The fifth group is hypocrites, especially Christian religious hypocrites who are only pretending to be godly. He notes that actually, from his experience, these have the hardest time repenting are the religious hypocrites who think they already know it. But the simple point here is that there is no one who enters into a saving relationship with God apart from repentance. There is no one who is delivered from the flood of wrath that is to come apart from repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And this brings us to why we need to repent. 
The reason, the reason is equally as simple as the reason for who. Why? Because if you don't repent, then you're going to perish. Now, Jesus doesn't mean that if you don't repent of your sins and turn to Jesus for salvation, that the Romans are going to show up at your house and murder you, or that a tower is going to fall on your head. What he means is that if one does not repent, then they will face eternal judgment, eternal death. As fallen sinful humanity, we need to repent because we have sinned against the Lord. It's as simple as that. And we face eternal judgment for our sins, rightly so. We need to understand one of the things that um, J.C. Ryle in his book, In Holiness, he talks about one of the things that we so easily forget is the deceitfulness of sin. How sin comes to us and just convinces us, right, that our sin is not that bad. It's, It's only a little one. It's only a little one. You know, it's not that bad. I'll quit Monday, right? Well, I already did it. I might as well just go, go through the whole thing and then, then I'll start fresh. Do we understand that our sin, that my sin, that your sin is so evil that Jesus had to be killed for it or else we could not be redeemed? Not a light beating, not a light grazing, not a stern scolding, is going to do it. You know, stern scolding for my sins, but, oh yeah, for someone else's sins, they had to, he had to die. No, no, no. For my sins, he had to die. J.C. Ryle, he wrote, terribly black must be the guilt for which nothing but the blood of the Son of God could make satisfaction. Heavy must be the weight of human sin that made Jesus groan and sweat drops of blood in agony in Gethsemane and at, and at Golgotha cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Last week, we recall how Jesus said he longed for the holy fire of judgment to spread upon the earth. It's going to happen. It's only a matter of when. And Jesus informs us that we should care about this because our souls are at stake here. This is not, he's not giving teaching about how to have maximum happiness, how to give, how great investment strategies, how to minimize conflict in your relationships. This is eternal destiny that is on the line here. And if I think that there is a path that leads to eternal life in the blessing, in the blessing of God that does not come by repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, then Christ himself says that I am on the broad path heading to destruction. I am inviting death and judgment. As Thomas Watson wrote, there is no entrance into heaven that does not come upon the water of repenting tears. But what is repentance? There is for many today confusion about whether they really have anything to repent of. I mean, maybe the big stuff, I guess. But, you know, we've we've all lied a bit. We've all hated people, been mad at them, you know. But but most people think that they are pretty good when you come down to it. But the scripture is clear from the Old Testament to the New Testament. That humanity is fallen, that we are by nature children of wrath, sons of disobedience, corrupt to our very hearts, deserving eternal wrath from the Holy God. 
But God in His grace has sent the Messiah to come and bring reconciliation between sinful man and God. We're talking about mercy and goodness and love. All that is required is for you and I to turn from our sins and to trust in Jesus. But what does it mean to turn from one's sins? It means to see, first of all, that our sins are an actual affront to God. Crimes against Him that justly deserve His displeasure and wrath. To believe that except for the mercy of God, we deserve and will receive eternal punishment in hell. But that's only half of repentance. Because not only do we turn from sin, we turn to Jesus and trust Him. But what does that mean? Well, it means that we believe the message of the kingdom of God that Jesus has been proclaiming. It means that we believe that Jesus died for our sins and that is sufficient, that He was raised from the dead and that is sufficient that He did these things for us so that we might live. And that what Christ has done for us means not only escape from judgment of what is to come, but to be secured for eternal glory in the presence of God forever. His presence, that on the day of judgment would have been a terror to us, is transformed into a joy, into an anticipation, something we look forward to, that we long for, that we love. And so the repentance we're speaking of here is not kind of the daily repentance and sanctification as a part of a Christian's growth. But this is what we have historically and even biblically referred to as the repentance that leads to life. It occurs when you confess yourself to be a sinner worthy of judgment and throw all your weight, all that you are, all that your life is upon Jesus, asking to be forgiven, pardoned and accepted by His death for your sin. And when we stand before God in the final judgment... We need to be reminded it's not going to be our neighbors, it's not going to be our friends, it's not going to be our bosses, our family, it's not going to be social media, society, the government. These are not the ones that shall judge us for eternity. It is God. It is God who brings His wrath, but it is also God who provides His grace, provides His love. But let us not forget that our God is a consuming fire from whom there is no escape unless we take the escape that He provides to us in Jesus Christ. And so I ask you this morning, have you turned from your sins and acknowledged yourself a sinner before the living God? Do you recognize that apart from His saving mercy, you deserve eternal judgment in hell forever? Is that a truth that you confess? If you're a member of the church, you, then the answer is yes, because that's the first member vow. Do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God and justly deserving His displeasure and an eternal judgment, save any act of mercy on His part? And if you're a member of our church, you have said before the congregation, before the session, before God, I do. Have you entrusted yourself to Jesus Christ? As He has offered you without charge, without extra works, but by faith alone freely in the gospel. Have you entrusted yourself to Him? 
Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that He has risen from the dead and you will be saved. There is not one of us who can escape the necessity of repentance and faith. But do not delay. Because Jesus warns about delay in a parable in verses 6 through 9. And this one is actually much shorter than the section we just went through. Because the parable is very straightforward. Jesus gives a, a, a story about a barren fig tree and the guy who planted it is very unhappy with what it's producing. And, it, and you know, if you've ever planted a, a fruit-bearing tree or a vegetable-bearing tree a, or bush and it doesn't produce, you're like, I'm sympathetic to this. Why should it take up, why should this, you know, leafy but barren plant take up space, precious space in my garden? And, this, and this, this tree, this fig tree is fully grown. It's leafy. It should be doing it, but it hasn't produced for three years. Now, it's not unusual for a tree to, have, to miss a year. That's okay. It happens. But three years running, there's a problem. Now, there's a lot of interpretations about this that are unhelpful here. Um, I like looking at old interpretations from the first couple centuries of the church, but, uh, but they, they get a little squirrely. Uh, um, they start doing all kinds of really, really deep allegory, and it just kind of goes kind of off the rails. But and many have written about how the the God the Father is is the the owner, and and, and God the Son is the vine dresser, and they get really specific in the scenario that is being worked out here. Uh, and uh, and there's questions about the identity of the fig tree, and now. Uh, given uh, pictures from the Old Testament, uh, it, it basically, I would I would argue that we can identify the fig tree uh, pretty much as Israel, the people of God that ought to be producing fruit, particularly of repentance and and faith. Uh, but uh, and so and so, but people just get really detailed with it. But and so, interpreting parables can be tricky. But one helpful principle about interpreting parables: Jesus usually has one big point. When he's using, making a parable. So the question is, what's the big point that he's making with the parable? And if you can figure that out, then you will be helped by the parables. Otherwise, it'll get really, really confusing and you go into some weird places. So we ask, what is the, what is the parable about? Well, it's about a barren fig tree. And what is the parable saying about that barren fig tree? Well, the master is not, uh, is not happy with it. He's tired of it. He wants it not producing fruit, so he wants it cut down. The gardener suggests that he wait one more year. Um, But notice, Jesus does not give us the master's response. We don't know if the master said, that's a good idea. Why don't you go ahead and do that? Or the master said, no, I'm done with it. Cut it down. We assume he went with the advice. We don't know. So, and And I think that leads us to the understanding of what the parable is about. We don't know when the master is going to bring the axe to the tree. Judgment will fall at a time we do not know. And people often put off dealing with God until the last moments, until a big event, until something is going to happen later on. And yeah, I'll, 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 I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll deal with the Lord. I know I should. But they put it off, and they'll put it off. But experience tells us that those who put off dealing with the Lord rarely do. It's not impossible, 
There are people who have come to faith late in life, running from the Lord for decade after decade after decade. It happens. And so for those of us who have loved ones in our lives who are not believers, who refuse, who don't want to talk about it, who you know, continue to pray for them, you never know. You never know what God and His providence is going to do. Yet, that is not a reason to forego, to delay repentance. To, to delay going to the Lord and being reconciled to Him by the Gospel. And because Jesus' point here is, sim- is simple. You don't know when your time's going to come. And you don't know when the time of judgment will fall. The window of opportunity for repentance is a diminishing window. Do not delay the salvation of your own soul. R.C. Sproul said in a 2014 uh, talk, well, it was an answer to a question that he actually got really angry about, became very viral online. Where he, this, the, it's the one, if you've ever seen the clip, where, where R.C. Sproul says, what's wrong with you people? Uh, that's, this was it. But he said one of the big problems in the church today is that we don't know who God is and we don't know who we are. We think we are not as sinful as we are. We think we're better than we are. We think God is less good and less holy than He is. But Jesus is clear. We are sinners who deserve judgment and the opportunity for repentance is now. This is a hard message from Jesus. But it is yet a hopeful message. Because why does Jesus call us to repentance? Why does He call sinners to repentance if He does not have an answer that is sufficient. If he does not have a response, if he does not have salvation and provision ready to meet the need of the sinner. For as terrible as our sin is, as awful as the judgment of God shall be, his grace is greater, his love is fuller, his joy everlasting. But again, that is only for those. We read this book uh, recently as officers about the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers called Gentle and Lowly. Heartily recommended. It's an amazing, lovely, wonderful book about the heart of Christ. It is, it is a book full of gorgeous and gracious promises that will just be food for your soul. But as, as, as thorough as that author is about the wonders of God's grace and goodness to us in Jesus Christ in ways that we really even struggle to accept about Jesus, one thing he is clear about in that book again and again, it is only for those who come to Jesus. It is only for those who repent and turn to Jesus. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Right? He doesn't say, I will give you rest if you don't come to me. He says, come to me and I will give rest to your weary souls. And that is what repentance is. It is coming to Jesus. And so will you come to him this morning? Will you listen? Will you repent? Will you believe? Will you entrust yourself to him before it's too late? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Christ we have salvation. That in Him we have a sure hope. And Lord, we pray that You would forgive us, Father. For many of us have forgotten. Many of us have been Christians for many years. We have forgotten the sinfulness of our sin. And in doing so, we have forgotten the wonder of Your grace. And Lord, we pray that You would refresh us. 
strengthen us, renew our hearts in the knowledge of the grace that is ours in Jesus Christ. Lord, may you reveal to us as your children the depth and tragedy of our own sinfulness, that we may rejoice in the glory and love of God in Jesus Christ for us, that we may rejoice in the future that is promised to us, that we may rejoice in the Spirit who lives in us now, securing for us the promises of your, of your gospel. We pray, Lord, that we would hear Jesus and listen to Him, Father, and may many, many, many more hear the good news, repent, and believe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.